Everybody, welcome to the King and I podcast presented by Monster Energy. I think this is episode six. Is it's it? Six one we've done. Time flies, dude. Right? Yeah. Goes pretty quick. Um, okay. A little while ago, we we're rummaging through your back room back there. Actually, <laughs> I'm going to go get this thing. But you have an RJ helmet. I RJ, do. Ricky Johnson. Was he one of your early heroes? Uh, <clears throat> of course, yeah. I mean, I think it seems like everyone in the mid '80s, w you know, to to like all the way to '91, you know, to mm -hmm. the '90s, RJ was kind of like, I would say, most of the time, most most kids' heroes if they were into Supercross and Motocross. Yeah, he Do was he was a little outlandish, stylish, and he won. Yeah, and he was a little bit, you know, a little bit crazy. So it was cool. Do uh, okay. The big thing people always say about you, uh, whether it's just talk about Jerry McGrath or comments and our stuff, is like the things that you did for the sport, like the the spokesperson that you were. Um, you always had time for fans. You had personality. You weren't afraid to be yourself. The only guy that was like really like that stand out before you was RJ. Did you? Uh, Pattern yourself. I don't want to say pattern yourself after him, but did he make an impression on you as a as a young guy? I mean, look, when as a fan watching Ricky Johnson, uh, you know, he was he was always loud and just kind of like out there, and he was stylish on the bike and and winning races. So <clears throat> naturally, you kind of gravitate to who those guys are, the winners, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you 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 can have someone that you might want to pattern yourself after, or someone you emulate a little bit. But you always kind of got to tweak it and make it your own, right? Mm -hmm. um, we've talked about this in the past. Like, I, I was a pretty shy kid. Mm -hmm. And I think what this sport did as a, for me and my personality is kind of bring it out a little bit. You know, I couldn't stay a shy kid. And then once you figure out, you know, I think a lot of people are shy just because they don't know what's going to happen if they, they're not shy, mm -hmm. right? So in my case, uh, just meeting people and talking and having relationships and everything it just kind of brings your personality out mm -hmm. and of course you know getting used to being in front of the camera if you're winning races you don't really have any options so um you know i i took on the role of like enjoying that having fun with it and it it's you know at the time you know i i think ricky was probably the guy that was we would hear the most right he mm -hmm. was winning and he was had some funny stuff to say, and he was always if someone pissed him off, he he brought it up, and yeah, uh, you know, I just remember the old old interviews, and they were just so fun to watch. So, I think more, I think tried to pattern my riding more after someone like Ricky than I did my personality because mm -hmm. I knew I needed to be me and not somebody else. Yeah, I think uh, he was always funny. He always said funny stuff. Like somebody asked him like whose ass he would like to kick. And he said, the guy who built my wheel. Remember, he, his wheel broke and he lost a ton. That was like in an uh, outdoor motocross championship, yeah. right? Yeah. Colorado or something? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Who was that? Who do you blame that on? That was Yamaha, right? Yeah, it was an unknown person, I think. But, you know, I had him on our show years ago, and I asked him about the dog. And it was like a mascot from a high school or something. And I think actually... I think his dad may have painted his helmet or something. I don't think it was Troy that came up with this paint scheme at first. Hmm. But yeah, pretty crazy to uh, see this helmet that you have an RJ helmet. And uh, 
It's just clean. I mean, this was pretty iconic when he was wearing that blue and white fox gear and half his half? helmet. Yeah, yeah, half half was. I mean, I was 80 novice at the time when that was going down. So yeah. I had that gear and it had Ricky Johnson's signature on it, mm-hmm. and I bought it from Fox. So, like, uh, I think a lot of little kids wanted to be like RJ. You know? He was, yeah. He was a man. Pretty crazy to look at this thing, and think how far helmet technology has come in the years, right? And Bell Moto Four was like it was the shit leading. Yeah. Uh, Did you, you know, ever have a Moto way. 4? Oh yeah. I had a Moto 4 and in fact when I was 10 years old, not a lot of people know this, I had an RM80 which you've seen, we might take a look at over mm-hmm. here in the hallway. Uh, I was riding with my cousin Travis and we were riding just, this was, I was racing B, like BMX really. Yeah. And we were riding dirt, dirt roads and dirt bikes over by his house which back then were, everyone knows my parents live off the freeway up there off the 215, they, that's where I grew up. But back then there was nobody there, so we'd ride dirt roads all around, and I was over at my cousin's house about a mile away, and his his family were farmers, so they were the, the farmers around all around Menifee and mm-hmm. everywhere. So they maintained the roads, and this dirt road kind of had like a fresh cut on it, and it was like this shape, so the water would run off. Yeah. Well, in the middle was a dirt, uh, was a like a rock from the blade. Uh-huh. And so I'm flying down the road right by his house, and I hit this rock, and just slaps me on the ground. Bam! Knocked out. Uh-huh. 10 years old. And I was wearing this helmet when that happened. This model of helmet. Yeah. So like my first big crash I ever had, thank goodness I was in a bell and not some other cheese ball <laughs> helmet. Uh, I did get, I knocked the crap out of me. So I was, mm-hmm. I mean, the helmet, head injuries are one of those things like you never know. Like if you were wearing something else, would it have been worse? Or would yeah. it have been better? Yeah. Those, those things you can't really document, but my dad's whole motto was like Bell helmets and Bell is a strong brand and that's what your head is going to have on it mm-hmm. until someone says differently because most importantly, your head needs to be safe. Yeah. And uh, he was right about that. So uh, anyway, yeah, funny story about the Moto4. When I first started yeah. racing in uh, 87, that's what I wore. Mm-hmm. Did you have the, uh, remember it came with the rubber plugs? Oh, yeah. To close yeah, the vent? Yeah, 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 I had that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know plugs. if I ever had a Moto 4. I had a Moto 3. It was like a hand, hand-me-down from Yeah, Ross. I didn't have a Moto 3. I started around right when Moto 4 came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, in BMX, I was wearing an open-face helmet with a, a different brand called Echo. Do you remember Echo? Yeah, yeah. So did, you wear, did you run just your face, or did you have a mouth trap? I had a Jofa. Yeah, those are sick, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool, yeah. Yeah, I used to uh, see... Jeff Ward wore a Jofa with Oakley's with that beak. Yeah. It looks so cool. Yeah, that was cool. There's a famous shot of him in the mag wearing that setup, you know, that. Yeah. That cool. And then Osho, <coughs> Osho when he switched to Answer, Answer made him a mouth trap. It wasn't as cool looking, but because it was Osho, I thought it was rad. Can you imagine riding a motocross in an open face helmet? No. I, I think it's not even legal at a professional level now. It has to be a full face. I mean, at any level, it shouldn't be legal. Yeah. Can you no. imagine taking 450 roost to the teeth? Yeah. No. Jofa wouldn't stop shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? It really wouldn't. Yeah. All right. Um, let's go to our first segment sponsored by Arm Sport. What's up with Jer? Endurance and action sports require peak performance from athletes' bodies and the proper nutrition before, during, and after these activities. Arma recognized a void in the marketplace and created a complete line of nutritional supplements formulated especially to help athletes and enthusiasts of all levels realize their maximum potential. 
They utilize not only the best ingredient combinations, but clinically proven dosages. Arma nutritional supplements have undoubtedly achieved best-in-class formulations. Visit armasport.com for more. Okay. We went to the shop the other day. Yeah. The SML headquarters, which is inside Jeremy McGrath Racing. So we saw that you've got new bikes. Yeah. And you've got suspension pulled off one of them, but the uh, Kawasaki... KX450 SR Special Racer is first year for, you know, the, you know, edition bike for Kawasaki. And I think they did a phenomenal job on that. We've talked about in the past, but did you get to develop that or help test that at all? Or was it just? No, I, you know, it's, I think the development days for me are kind of long gone, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm more ambassador of all things Cowie, you know. Uh, still try to ride as much as I can and did some riding on the SR bike, which is an amazing bike. Uh, but yeah, I think it's more like kind of like half race. It's what the race team is developing, not, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it is, it was fun to ride. I rode supercross all yeah. day long on it. It was really, really cool. Yeah. My, uh, I've got a buddy that's on the R and D team in Japan, mm -hmm. uh, Takeshi Katsuya. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember he called me. He was like, yeah, can I call you? He's, you probably know him. He's the guy, he grew up in Australia, so he speaks English with an Australian accent. Does that ring a bell for you at all? He's like four-time 250 champ in Japan. But anyway, I'm sure I've met him. Yeah, anyway, know. he called me and was like, hey, what, what do you think about these parts and this and that, being on the bike? And So I knew about the SR probably two years before it came out. Yeah. But I know when I got it, I was blown away at how yeah. good it is. It's like, what is that uh, engine like compared to like a race bike, race bike? You know, it's hard to say. I haven't ridden a really, really good race bike in a while. But I mm -hmm. know they're so strong. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, the, the SR bike with the modified uh, engine is just clean, runs good, runs strong. It's got mm -hmm. more bottom yeah. than standard, uh, which is kind of hard to believe, right? Because we ride standard bikes. They're mm -hmm. strong. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think for me, it's just really neat when a factory gets behind doing a kind of a race model mm -hmm. or like a mi mi minor race model. Uh, we've seen other brands do it, and it's a big success, obviously. And I know Cowie for sure can't keep any in stock. Yeah. So that's a good problem to have. Yeah. Uh, I'm stoked to get one because they could sell the bike probably to somebody. But uh, anyways, yeah, I just think it's it's cool. You know, I mean, everything that's on the bike is exactly how. That's like the bike That's I what ride anyway. Do, yeah. So I have an A-kit suspension on my bike with the show stuff. And the SR model comes with the KYB, mm -hmm. A-kit really. And so uh, fairly similar. But uh, yeah, I just got it. Mm -hmm. It had Supercross suspension on it because we went and did the... Science of Supercross. We did Science of Supercross and we did the, all the uh, brochures and all the stuff on those bikes before they came out. Mm -hmm. So... <clears throat> Axel and I were riding at Supercross in Corona on the SR bike to, for photos. Um, so, I'm, yeah, I'm excited. The suspension just came off to take, go from Supercross setting to motocross setting. Yeah. And that's what I'll be riding at Mammoth. Hey, how sweet is it now going to Mammoth <clears throat> and you don't have to just jack with your jetty? <laughs> that that yeah, was I such mean, a big problem yeah. back in the day. They it was that. a big problem. But it wasn't, you know, once you figured out how to do it, it wasn't that hard. I don't know. I never got my bike running good. I would always go to the 
Jay Clark always had some gas additive that was supposed to make it better and all this and that. A lot of people struggled. It changed in the morning to the afternoon because of the temperature and everything. But like right, right, right. Now at the EFI bike, you don't have to do anything, right? Yeah, you don't. I mean, the bikes are fast. What I love about Mammoth on a 450 is that sea level 450s are so fast, you get, you know, you got to be really careful. At Mammoth at 8,000 feet, takes enough power away that you can ride them a lot harder. Mm-hmm. And they don't seem like such a crazy, you know, crazy animal when you're up at that kind of elevation, which I like. I can ride it harder. I just can control it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But everyone's on the same machine, so yeah, it's good. I mean, of course, down here at sea level, you wouldn't want to slow your bike down so you could ride it harder because everyone else's bikes are so much quicker. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. It's, uh, you know, you don't, for me, I don't, fitness-wise, you don't, I don't have to do anything. I don't have really a carrot hanging out there in front of me too much anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Mammoth kind of gives me a little reason to put a little program together and ride and get in shape a little bit. So it'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, last year, I think it was last year you did the 500 video, or was that two years ago? I think it was two years ago now. Any uh, any thoughts of taking that bad boy back over there? Maybe, maybe, but they have a, they have a class there called Smoke and Fire, mm-hmm. which is basically two-stroke class. And uh, I don't know, maybe I should bring a 250 this time. Yeah. Okay, there's some 250s at the shop. There's some two-strokes at the shop that I know you got with the intentions of rebuilding them up? Like when are you gonna pick that back up? There's, uh, that, there's that crazy 250 with that weird pipe, or it's a 125. That's a 125. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I have those in the container. I just haven't had time to get them built up. Uh, but I do have the aluminum frame two-stroke yeah. that I got from you, mm-hmm. uh, 250. So that, that might be a good option. Take that bad boy there. Yeah. Then you have to jet it. I know, we'll have to go, go do some jetting. <laughs> I had to jet the 500 too. Or yeah. maybe I didn't. I don't know. No, you would have had that thing would have been really fat up there. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I don't know if I have enough energy to raise two classes. We'll see. Yeah. Was the uh, enthusiasm for rebuilding that KX125 dampened at all after you rode that one in Salt Lake? It was honestly it was because <laughs> I rode the one in so Salt Lake slow. and that bike was so slow. I, I I can't even imagine like an 80 being that slow at sea level. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like an 80 has to be faster than that. <laughs> I can't believe how slow that thing was. <laughs> but I don't know who built it. I don't know what was in it. I mean, it just didn't seem like it ran that good. Yeah. I remember 125s to be better than that. And that thing wasn't that good. I remember, I remember chasing our filming you. And it was just like watching you. I was afraid chair. to jump the big old jump on that bike. It's not enough power. Yeah, there was that big double, remember? And I was like, I'm not jumping that. Yeah. Because I was afraid it was going to not get it, get enough speed. Yeah. I just remember how slow it went down the straightaways. It'd I mean, the, to be fair, it was altitude and it was a sand track. Yeah. So, yeah. but, you know, I think it's easier. We always remember uh, in our heads that stuff was faster than it was. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do the same thing when I get on, uh, when I go from the 450 to the 500 even two-stroke. Mm-hmm. Then I go back to my fi- uh, 450. Mm-hmm. It's like the thing wants to pull your arms off. Yeah. So it feels, you know, incredibly fast and, uh, I don't know, it's strange. Two strokes just don't feel like they used to. Yeah. Things are always better in your memory, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. All right, you ready for a fan question? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. From your bike to your truck and almost everything in between with wheels, Max's tires will have you hooking up, pulling the whole shot, and beating your competition. One of the world's most trusted tire brands, 
Maxxis delivers high-quality tire products that perform no matter what the terrain or conditions. If you don't believe me, ask the King Jerry McGrath. Visit Maxxis.com for more. All right, this week's question is from VetMXer518. And I, we may have talked about this already, but he says, who is the most aggressive rider you raced against, and what was your strategy to pass him? I know you're going to say Emig, right? But was you know, Emig, was I think Emig it was the, either Emig or Lusk, really, was, was Lusk. like my, the most aggressive rider. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know. I don't know really why anyone, when anyone, anyone would ride like to try to chop you off on the lips and stuff. It's just so dangerous. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think I'd ever want to hurt any of my peers that I race with. Yeah, I want to beat them, but don't want to hurt them. Mm -hmm. So Emig made some really, he was really aggressive, I guess, when it came to some of that. But Lusk, Lusk would take you out pretty good. Really? Emig would close the door on you and all this, but I think Lusk would just take you out. Um, Mostly on those Honda years when he when I rode Yamaha's, we switched teams basically. Mm -hmm. um, I think there was a lot of pressure for him to win, and he fit right into that Honda like win at all costs kind of mode. Mm -hmm. So Lusk was pretty aggressive, I thought. Uh, and what did I think? Well, I mean, the, naturally for me, if I ended up having to pass those guys, I would get behind them, watch them, and then figure out where I was going to make my move. Mm -hmm. And then when I, once I made my move, I would try to bla like go as fast as I can for, you know, let's just say like the next three or four or five corners. To get out of reach. To get like at least one bike link away. So then, then I really was, uh, they couldn't retaliate, maybe. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think it's better to figure out how to pass a guy and embarrass him than it is to try to get in the middle of a mix-up with him. You know, mm -hmm. especially a guy that doesn't give a shit. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, that's kind of the way I thought about it. I didn't want to create enemies out there, although some of them you had to. And, uh, you know, with the except, sometimes if a guy took you out enough and it just kept going, you, you have to get into it. You have to take them down once. You have mm -hmm. to smash them hard to show that you're not going to get disrespected like that. Mm -hmm. And etiquette has to be re restored you know? Yeah. And I think that's what uh, I thought. Like, look, I'm I'm okay with some of this, but as soon as it gets to a certain point, I'm going to smash you. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't big on trying to take guys out. I'd rather just embarrass them. Yeah. And then just sit there and go, how, what, how did that happen? You know, and then I'm <laughs> gone. So that was kind of my MO, the way I'd like to do it. Uh, but sometimes you had to get in a mix of it. The thing I didn't like is some of the stuff was dangerous. Lusk would nail you and take you out. Emig would chop you off on the lips. Mm. which was dangerous. So two entirely different sort of strategies on their part. Yeah. But, uh, and still to this day, uh, something I really didn't understand, you know. Can you think of one instance when you got taken out really bad? And what, what, what was it? Uh, I got taken out in Indy, I think it was, or may, no, St. Louis, maybe 98. Lust came, did one of those kind of, I was through the corner and came like, really tight and oh. almost backwards on the track kind of thing mm -hmm. and just nailed me and uh, I lost I got I was off the podium that night um, that was a pretty bad one um, did you get him back uh, I think I must have got him back I mean I beat him pretty much every other week every week after that yeah so of course that really stings I'm sure uh, I don't know he was he was 
he seemed to be nice, but he had this thing <laughs> when he put his helmet on, he was just kind of crazy. So, yeah. um, I don't know. My favorite competitor to race with was Larry Ward. We had so much fun racing together. Kevin Wyndham was great too. Mm-hmm. We had so many fun races, battled each other, looking at each other in the air. So fun. Could trust where they were going to go. If I went in, they could switch it up and go under. It was just, those kind of things were just so fun. And, uh, you know, it was always, you always had to worry about the other couple of the other guys, you know? Mm-hmm. Was, uh, like, for instance, more recently, uh, I was talking to Tomac after a race, and he had passed Barsha. And I was like, hey, dude, when you passed Barsha, did you just, like, hammer the throttle for a couple turns? He goes, oh, yeah, you got to get away from that guy. Yeah, it's, it, it is when you watch the races today. You always think, like, oh, that guy's... And it never changes. He's always acting crazy on the track. And I mean, if I'm the other guys, I would be smashing him so hard. I would do whatever it took to tee him off, get mm-hmm. him, get him out of my face, and get some respect. Yeah. These guys know he's going to do that, but they don't do nothing about it. So I don't know. Barsha seems to be the guy, though, that like when he smashes you, and then after he's like, "Oh, what? I really did that? What?" <laughs> yeah. And so like that kind of stuff is just so irritating. I love watching Barsha ride. He's a great rider. Yeah. But man, his etiquette on the track is, he should worry more about racing than stuffing people. Mm-hmm. Who else do you think right now currently is too aggro? Mm. Vince Freeze. Mm. He's pretty aggro. Yeah. You know uh, what he said to and, me? And you know, he, he stuff never changes with him. It's always the same. Mm-hmm. Why is he always in mix-ups? Yeah. He said, uh, his quote that made a lot of sense to me, he said, my starting ability has always been greater than my speed. You know, but like, what, what, is, your, what is your thought about that, right? Because like, fans get on him, like, oh, just, why is he always in the way again, in the way? But like, you were a good starter, right? I mean, being a good starter is part of your... Uh... Look at Doug Dubach. He was a great starter. Mm-hmm. He got faster because of it. Because he would get behind someone and learn. Yeah. So when I'm watching someone like freeze i'm like his strategy's all wrong he gets great starts he needs to get tuck in behind someone that's faster than him and learn mm-hmm. and and make that your new speed yeah instead he tries so hard to protect where he's at just smashing guys and taking wrong lines and crashing and getting in the middle of mix-ups and fights and whatever else yeah i mean how long how many times does it take to figure out your strategy's wrong mm-hmm. i don't know you keep trying to do the same thing, expecting a different result. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, he's pretty crazy. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, Lawrence has been riding pretty aggressive, Jet Lawrence. Mm-hmm. He's made a couple, you know, kind of bad decisions, I think. The thing with Forkner and him was pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Both of them probably should have been expecting that to happen, uh, just due to the way the track was set up. Um, but I don't really see anyone else out there like getting too crazy. Yeah. Hey, so the, the Jet Lawrence thing was from him clipping that tough block, right? Up the face and he jumped into Forkner. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think, I mean, I think he, he buzzed the tough block, but I don't yeah. think that's what caused him to yeah. cut over. He was going there anyway. Yeah, he was on the outside of the track, but he was going that way anyway mm-hmm. on purpose. Yeah. Forkner should have expected it because he had a good run and he was making a lot of speed on him. So they were going to intersect. Uh, they both got 
pretty bad end of the stick there on that yeah. deal. But yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure how I would have played that one. I was just thinking about that. Uh, you know, him, Jet, saying he hit the tough block or whatever. And then, like, there have been a couple of videos this year where you see guys fly off the track and land on a tough block. And I was asking Alex Ray about, like, what does a tough block feel like when you land on it? He goes, oh, it's sometimes it's like, oh, wow, that was easy. Other times you're just whoosh. It just grabs you, yeah. Tough blocks are relatively, in the grand scheme of things, newer, right? Because you, you had hay bales. Or yeah. straw bales. Yeah, yeah, we had the straw hay bales, whatever they are. Did you yeah. ever land on a straw bale when you were racing? No. Oh, so you never had a... I, I landed and hit them and endoed, uh-huh. probably. But I never really landed on one. Like, there's some, like, there's bale. You see the one famous one of bale landing on a hay yeah. bale? Bale on a hay bale. And that was pretty gnarly. I, I never did any one of those, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, the top block seems like a, it's a great invention. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so the hay bales were pretty pretty dangerous back in the day. Uh, tracks were not quite as gnarly, so you s- probably didn't see, mm-hmm. you know, guys cutting flying off the track as much then as you do now, because mm-hmm. everyone loves to use the edges of the track to make the track as big as possible, right? To keep as much speed as you can. Yeah. So, uh, but I know that when they're the way they are is when you land on them, they're soft, so they grab your wheels and tires yeah. and grab your bike and stuff and, and your foot pegs. Uh, we've seen some crashes. Cincerello's hit a few. And <laughs> yeah. There's, there's been plenty. All right. We're going to head into the hallway for Bell back in the day. Ready to go? Check it out. Bell Helmets was established in 1954. They're the makers of the Moto 10 Spherical and the choice of professionals like Eli Tomac, Cooper Webb, our own Jeremy McGrath, Dylan Frandis, and Pro Circuit Racing. The Bell Moto 10 Spherical is the official helmet of the Life on Two Wheels vlog, and sadly, I've put them to the test several times. <laughs> so uh, visit bellhelmets.com for more. Okay, through the magic of video and editing, here we are, boom, in Jeremy's uh, Hall of Fame. And uh, <laughs> we're both wearing some old-ass jackets. Nice jacket, dude. Huh? Nice, nice jacket. Uh, puffy arms. You got like the OG Tai Chi jacket. Yeah. So RS Tai Chi was This a, one I got, though. This one's the topper. That's the topper. That one's classy. It's not this one, this one was years later, like after. Yeah, la- this is. These are Yamaha. This is Yamaha days. Okay, so this is Dirt Rider on it. <clears throat> so that was '96. Yeah. '96, '97. This is the it. year of this bike. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So RS Taichi is a Japanese brand. It's an importer. They brought in No Fear, and Spy, and uh, well, there used to be that JT collaboration. Remember? Tai Chi, JT made Taichi gear that Bale wore. But, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Yep. So, uh, anyway, Taichi, RS Taichi is uh, highly regarded for their road racing suits. And they also made these leather jackets, custom jackets. Would you get it? You guys would all go visit Taichi when you went to the Tokyo Supercross or something, <laughs> right? And yeah, I remember. I, I have some older ones than this, but uh, I remember, like, we used to see Lachine and, like, Ronnie Tishner, because he wore RS, RS Taichi too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and guys, didn't Chicken wear it? Yeah. Chicken wore it also yeah. when he was Japanese rider, Japanese mm-hmm. MX champion. So, uh, yeah, we always just kind of used to look at it like, oh, man, if we could just get one of those jackets. And so we would always go to Japan in the month of November because there was like 
Tokyo and then Osaka, Osaka Supercrosses. And Ooh, that was when we would get our new factory bikes. Yeah. Which was always the weirdest thing because the tracks over there were usually muddy and they put a bunch of lime in the dirt and everything. And so we'd race, we'd race on the track and then our bikes would just be toast. Yeah. Our brand new, like state of the art factory bikes. And uh, basically they'd have to take them back over to Honda factory, mm -hmm. work on them, dial them all back in, and then they'd ship them back to the US in crates. Uh, but yeah, these jackets were just kind of like a sign of like, Status. The cool guy yeah, club. Yeah, it was a yeah. status jacket, and uh, I remember, uh, remember being able to get one finally, and I was like, "Oh man, yeah, that's pretty cool." See, obviously, ours are from different eras, yeah. because mine's super gaudy and tacky. Look at that. Well, you <laughs> have the uh, yeah, you have the like soft. Yeah, this is a Letterman style. This Actually, was a later version with leather cuffs. Yeah, and no logos, and just like my logo on the back. The Showtime. Which is pretty cool. And I'm going to take mine off now because it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. But, uh, okay, so we're in the hallway next to the bike. So this is, uh, I think, this is the iconic McGrath bike, right? That bike is the, uh, yeah, that's like the one I raced. That is the one I raced. Is this the 93 frame that 93 you kept? 93 frame with all the factory parts on it from 96. Mm-hmm. So, uh yeah, any of these photos around here, like for outdoor, this is the outdoor version. Yeah. So it wasn't the Supercross one, but. But it's like, you look at this bike, right? And it's just so mean looking. The, uh, the I mean, this, this bike is probably the bike of the 90s, to mm -hmm. be honest. This is the iconic, like if you, any bike from 1990 through 2000, like this was the bike. Yeah. You know? And uh, so it's kind of funny that it was, kept a secret, right? That you kept a 93 frame for as long as you were able to keep it a secret. But like, what did you not like about the newer frames? The newer frame, meaning the new steel frame? Yeah. You know, it's weird. I think uh, we were talking about this the other day that, you know, back then we would, we would use, move the engine around and, you know, do certain things uh, in the testing department before Supercross came and you could, you could shim out the rear of the engine, move it up. You can move the front of the engine up or down, you mm -hmm. know, depending on. So we tested all these cool things <clears throat> back then. And uh, the 93 chassis just seemed to fit for me. Every year I switched to the new chassis and rode it for a couple races. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, I ended up always switching back. And I think it was because of the start. And for something about this geometry from this bike, uh, it just, would leave the line better than the rest. Mm -hmm. um, I think 95, when I had a bunch of wins in the beginning of the year in Supercross, but I never really got great, too, too much of a great start. Uh, one race in particular, I came from behind and passed Larry Ward on like lap 10 or 11 at Anaheim, which was a really epic race. But I, I just couldn't get off the line with the newer chassis, so I ended up always staying with the 93. Um, <clears throat> and then lo and behold, what we know now is when it, they, they went from this frame to the aluminum frame, you know, that was kind of the, that was the demise of me at Honda. Yeah. It wasn't my Honda relationship. It was just the bike itself. It's mm -hmm. just the first frame, first aluminum frame CR was pretty unrideable. And fortunately for me, my contract was ending at that time and it was a weird month and we didn't get that Suzuki deal uh, until like late, shoot, middle of December, which we only had like three weeks left before the races started at, mm -hmm. at LA Coliseum that year. Uh, but 
Luckily, I wasn't in a contract year because that would have been a write-off year. I mean, I got scars on my chin to prove that the aluminum frame that year in Tokyo Supercross was, was I mean, I was crashing and hitting my face on the bars and mm -hmm. things that I didn't normally do. So, uh, and that was kind of the start of all that. Yeah, I remember being at Glen Helen <clears throat> one day and you were testing the bike. Yeah, that was the <laughs> final day. That was the final test because I was like, I'm done with this. I, I, I was on the phone with my dad after that day. Um, and like, how, how do we get a new deal? Yeah. And that was kind of when, <laughs> yeah. What, what was I saying? Do you remember me saying anything that day? You just said or? it was so rigid and, and unrideable and I, deflected I, from off my memory, you. yeah, from my memory, like I, any rut you got in, it just, it, you just bounced out of the rut. You couldn't even stay in the rut. It was so weird. And it was almost like I had forgotten how to ride. Mm. It's funny because you look at that bike now compared to the bikes now. It was the first aluminum bike, right? So oh I think gosh, yeah. the spars were like that thick, yeah, remember? It was like, so it's yeah. kind of like they overbuilt it. Because well, I think what happened was, is, you know, we rode that bike in pre-production way before it ever came out. And we thought, well, all right, yeah, that's all right. We, can, we might be able to make this work. Yeah. <clears throat> that's why the deal fell apart so late, right? Because the production bike came, mm. and I think somewhere between the pre-production model and the production model, they go, man, we better beef this thing up so it don't break. And yeah. I think that's when they showed up at the production model and we were like, what the hell is this thing? <laughs> like, what, yeah, what are we doing? So we had to go through the formalities of going to ride the bike, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it, luckily I hadn't signed on the, on the dotted line. I had a contract there from Honda sitting there and yeah. uh, <clears throat> fortunately it just, I got to ride the bike before I had to sign on the dotted line. Otherwise, 90s, I mean, it might've been, my whole career might have been totally different, right? Because if, if I, I was in a new contract year, I had just won, you know, 13 out of 15 Supercrosses. Uh, no, 14 out of 15 Supercrosses. Uh, but I would have signed at least a two-year deal. Yeah, you've been stuck on that. Thing. Maybe even a three-year deal. I would have been stuck on that bike. It might have changed everything. So uh, it's crazy how things work. But anyways, this right here. And I, they would have never let me ride this bike. Yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't have let me ride this bike in 97. Yeah. because the new frame was aluminum. So the, this bike can run its course and here we are. Okay, yep. so you've got this thing here. This mm -hmm. is an actual works mm -hmm. bike. You can tell by the cases and everything, but yeah. uh, what emotions are conjured up when you look at this thing? Just to, this would be nothing but great memories. Yeah, I mean, when I look at this bike, it's just a, an accumulation of a lot of hard work and a lot of race wins. I mean, uh, I feel like 95 and 96, uh, I think those years were like, that was like my peak. Mm -hmm. You know, I was winning all races, outdoor, indoor, supercrosses, anywhere in the world, motocross of nations. I think in this, you know, the 95 and 96, I can honestly say that, you know, I was probably the best rider in the world, even with, even counting Everett's that year. Mm -hmm. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's, when I look at this, it's just nothing but good memories. Really. Yeah. Yeah. When you, uh, okay. We talked earlier, you busted it out and put new oil and stuff in it and you wrote it, what, about 10 years ago? Yeah. I wrote it about 10 years ago. I think I took it to Elsinore once, uh -huh. wrote it around. Still did, it, did it feel as oh, yeah. amazing as you oh, remember oh, yeah. or were you like compared to modern bikes? Like, oh, no, no, it felt amazing. It felt, it really felt amazing. And, uh, you know, the, the Yamaha I rode in 98, 99, 2000, 2001, like until I stopped, uh, that bike was really modeled after this bike. Mm -hmm. So it felt a lot like this. 
Uh, it'd be fun to compare this bike against one of my Yamahas, 99 or something. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, it, it felt it felt amazing. It really did. And this, in fact, years later when Roxon did that, kind of did the remake the of the Terraforma thing, mm -hmm. he, uh, Lars took this bike and Roxon rode this bike and then. Oh really, it was yeah, this actual so he bike? he rode this bike for that. Yeah, well, it's pretty it, cool. He did loved you ever it. talk to Kenny? What do you say he about loved it? it? Yeah, he loved it. Yeah, he thought it was awesome. Dude, I yeah. can't even imagine. Like a guy like Kenny, who's a modern superstar now, yeah. that had to have been like, just like a dream, riding this bike at Castillo. Yeah, no, and I know uh, that's where this bike was ridden a lot too. So yeah, uh, pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. But I think this bike stands the test of time. Honestly, it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I there's mean, there's something just so classic looking about. Like you look at a lot of older bikes and they look like bulky and kind of strange looking, but. This thing is just. Yeah, th this bike looks still modern enough where you could, mm -hmm. you could, you know, you could probably race it, you know. If it was still two-stroke, two-stroke <laughs> class, I guess. Yeah, is this your favorite bike that you have in your possession? Um, still? Yeah, I mean, my peak bikes that are sitting there, uh, those are original bikes, so those mm -hmm. are nice too. Uh, yeah, I mean, this one's like I said, this one's. Uh, I won a lot on my Yamaha, which I have a copy of the Yamaha over there, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not the actual one. Um, still a phenomenal bike. I built it up to be exactly like what I raced. Uh, but this one, uh, you know, being that it's original bike, it's kind of my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. How did the suspension components compare to like modern stuff? Like, I mean, that's a full show of works fork on there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it was as good as anything I rode later in my later years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I found that, you know, um, later when I was testing for Honda years later on the four strokes and stuff, uh, the things that we did and the budget that Honda had at the time when we were racing this bike was so much more, it, I felt, than it, than it was in the newer years because there was less parts to test, less options, mm -hmm. and less things to try. Where we, we would spend months months and just get shipments all the time from Japan on parts mm -hmm. to try and and change out and different widths of forks and different strengths of forks, different size of forks, uh, different, you know, fork lugs, different style, different shape, different square, round, mm -hmm. uh, you know, engine position. We, there were so many things that we used to try and it was so fun back then. And then uh, in 04, 05, 06, when I was testing for Honda and riding a little bit still, we would test stuff, but there was a little less options. And uh, so this, again, you know, the 80s and 90s were the great era to be racing dirt bikes because you just had so much fun and so much options. So yeah. many options as a kid, you know, it was just, uh, it was, you know, kid in a candy store pretty much every day when, when you went to the track, so it was cool. Yeah, you always hear like uh, old timers talk about things, like, oh, those are the glory years and this and that. It's like, yeah, it's, I, I really think any think rider that, that rides today knows that the 90s were the glory years. Oh yeah. Yeah, they know. Agreed. Anyway, dude, thanks for having me on again yep. or having me down to your house. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a, a never-ending supply of cool things to talk about with you and look at and drool. We have over. a lot more stories we can tell from this hallway, so stay yeah. tuned. All right, we'll <laughs> see you guys in a couple weeks. Thanks for watching.